Good morning or afternoon or evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are here starting off the Family Office Club podcast uh, and YouTube show with a very special guest of ours, a new member to the Family Office Club. Uh, I have here with us uh, Sean Burton, the CEO of City View. If you want to say hi really quick, Sean. Hey, Andres. How you doing? Thank you for having me. For sure. For sure. Now, thanks for being with us today. Really quickly, just to introduce you to the audience, um, Sean is the CEO and co-founder of CityView. It's a vertically integrated real estate investment management and development firm that specializes in developing, acquiring, and operating opportunistic and value-add multifamily projects in gateway markets across the Western U.S., uh, City View has invested in more than 130 projects and was named the decade's largest multifamily developer in LA by the Los Angeles Business Journal. Uh, he was also appointed to the Metropolitan Washington Airport's Authority Board of Directors, which oversees Washington Duels and the uh, Reagan National Airports. He also serves as the co-chair co-chair of the Los Angeles Coalition, a coalition of business leaders for the economy and jobs in Los Angeles. Uh, so really great to have you here. Uh, throw in there that I know you're in a real estate investment firm currently holds $4 billion in assets under management over 20 years, over 130 projects. Uh, so definitely want to touch up on that today, uh, Sean. Right. Um, but uh, so let's get right to it. Um, I guess my, my first question for you, Sean, getting right into it is um, obviously there's a lot of real estate uh fund managers out there right and there's a lot of real estate operators and real estate opportunities um what should investors look for in fund managers sure sure like why well, you know we get that question a lot and well, you know we think a couple things you know number one i think you want to invest with someone who's experienced uh and has you know made the kinds of investment they're talking to you about time and time and time again you want to make sure they have a track record of success um and it's really worth spending your time and effort doing due diligence to to understand that um you know we used to joke around that when people do things for the first time um there's a dumb tax that's paid um and you never want anybody to pay a dumb tax with your money as an investor so we think experience you know really matters um, two, uh, obviously investment strategy. It's got to be an investment strategy that, that you really believe in. Uh, again, that the investor manager has a lot of experience executing on, makes sense in light of current market conditions um, and your risk tolerance. Um, those are important things to, to consider as well. And I think a third thing is um, to really be aware of fees. I think a lot of investor managers charge their investors a lot of fees, a lot of upfront fees. And I think you really want to be wary in a deal structure that, that your manager isn't making a lot of money um, before you make money. Uh, the investor is supposed to make money first uh, and then and then the fund manager should. There's got to be some fees you know, to be paid for overhead that are fair, but I do think that's something to really be wary of. And it's, it's something we're very conscious of in our investor relationships. Excellent. Well, I wanted to start off with that question because i think that's a big question for our family offices and private investors that are watching this but i kind of do want to learn more about you sean you have an incredible track record um beautiful office and we have a lot of people working there behind you um so kind of a selfish question on my end because i want to know you know your past 20 years trajectory what can you share more about yourself and kind of your journey in real estate you know these past 20 years 
And sure. if you can also just include in there, you know, kind of some mindset that it took and, and overcoming how you overcame a lot of the challenges with being through multiple market cycles. Yeah, sure, sure. So, I, you know, I'd say a couple of things. First of all, um, you know, co-founded City View in 2003 because, you know, I and, the, and my partners had a belief that um, there was going to be a return to cities. Um, that you'd seen a lot of suburbanization, a lot of sprawl happen in the 80s and 90s, and that there was a generation of people who want to live closer into their jobs, they're going to live near nightlife and culture and want to be near transportation. And so our thesis was, let's go in and buy and develop projects in really good locations um, that are kind of near the action. Um, and so for me, it was a passion. Um, we believed in cities. We liked the kind of action of, of that's happening in cities and the energy. Um, so, you know, I do think it's important to, to focus on, you know, a career that you care about, where that you're passionate about, that you really believe in. And, and you know, we really believed in kind of the thesis of what we were doing. Um, and then I think the mindset's got to be really positive because it's difficult, right? You go through ups and downs, you go through market cycles. I mean, and when, you know, we first started in the firm in 2003, we were just coming out of kind of the dot-com bust and, the, you know, the recession that had happened there and the country recovering from September 11th. Um, then in 2009 and 10, you had the great financial crisis hit um, and it really hit, you know, obviously real estate hard, it hit housing hard. Um, then, you know, obviously we went through COVID and now we're going through kind of interest rate challenges. So I think you have to have a positive mindset and you got to keep your eye on the prize. And um, and then I think you got to stick to the fundamentals. I mean, that's, you know, we're we're not a flashy firm. Um, you know, we we, you know, believe in um you know economic fundamentals like supply and demand and and our whole thesis since we started was um there was going to be the strong demand of renters who needed a place to live in in these markets that weren't building enough supply and if we could come in and help solve that problem we could do something good for the community but also create great return returns for our investors um and so you know that so we kind of stick to the fundamentals stick to our knitting um, in that sense, um, and stay positive and stay focused. Uh, and then we're we're highly experienced in our markets. You know, we, you know, you said this a little bit at the beginning, but you know, we focus on uh, building and buying multifamily in the western half of the country and these gateway cities that have the supply and demand imbalance. You know, I'm not also you know underwriting you know uh, hotels in Ireland and suburban office and you know in you know Maryland and, and other things like that like we're very focused on what we do and we do it time and time and time again and um, and there's real advantages to that I think and this is primarily like the western side of the United States right what states did you say primarily yeah, so, it's so it's it's San Diego it's Orange County it's Los Angeles um, it's the Bay Area um, particularly in kind of Silicon Valley and the East Bay, uh, it's Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Um, and then you jump over to Denver and Boulder, which are great markets, um, down through Salt Lake into Phoenix and then into Dallas and Austin. So kind of all west of the Mississippi, but all kind of great cities where, you know, people want to live, where you have really good jobs, you have good demographic growth. Um, and generally cities that don't build enough housing, which is what creates a pretty significant up, you know, upward pricing pressure uh, on rents and on home prices. Got it. Understood. Um, and would you say like right now in this current 
time? I mean, you know, you, you named a lot of cities. Are there cities that stand out more to you guys right now than others? Sure, sure. So I would say, you know, Denver um, is a great city. It has a really diverse job base. Um, it's the number two place that millennials say they want to move in the country when they do surveys. Uh, number mm. one in Texas, um, which has a, you know, obviously really things in Texas. And yeah, number number two is is Colorado. Um, people are we just it. talking west of the Mississippi here or all the United States? All around the whole country, around the whole country. That's where's Miami uh, fall on that list? Um, <laughs> Uh, it fall, I think people like Miami as well, but Miami could be, you know, expensive to live in the city. Yeah, for and sure. Part of what people like about Denver is the cost of living is a little bit lower. Um, also, if you're into the Rocky Mountain lifestyle at all, outdoor lifestyle, that's really so. Um, that's a market that we're kind of heavily invested in and continue to invest in. Um, obviously, Dallas has been a really strong market recently. Um, you've seen a, you know, a lot of people move to Texas. Um, the cost of living is less. The cost of housing is less. Um, you have really good job growth. Um, you got to be able to deal with the weather. Uh, it's not as nice as it is here in California, but that's another good market um, uh, that you know we've been focused on. Excellent. And so your firm, City View, is vertically integrated, right? And we talked a little bit before we started recording everything from development, construction management, property management, entitlement, acquisitions. How big is your team? So we have 150 people. Um, yeah, and, and we didn't start that way. When we Our first few years of the firm, you know, we had eight or 10 people and we were a real estate allocator. We were partnering with builders and developers and investing capital. We were raising money from big institutions, big pension systems and insurance companies and a, and a commingled fund structure. And we were putting that out. Um, and then during the great financial crisis, um, we ended up having to take projects back. We had operators who went bankrupt or lost their focus. And we frankly just realized we had to be a lot closer to the real estate. And so we made a decision to invest and build out our platform. So we started with the development team and kind of 2011, 12, 13, we started building that out. Then we built out construction management next. And, and then we kind of finished with property management. Um, and that's given us, we think, a real competitive advantage. Um, one, investors love it because they're not paying double fees or not paying double carry or double promote. Um, you just have one entity that you're dealing with that actually does the work. Um, and two, we think it, it you know, allows us to execute better, which is why we did it. You know, we're, it's easier to deliver projects on time and on budget when, when you're managing every aspect of the project. But it also made us smarter in due diligence. And I, you know, we, I, I didn't think, I don't think we anticipated how much it was going to help there because when you're going and underwriting a development project, for example, um, and you've just, you know, bid or building three other development projects and your development team knows the subcontractors, they can pick up the phone and call the, the lumber mill or the steel manufacturer and get direct information. You can make much better decisions about um, what things cost and how they can be delivered during underwriting. Um, and the same is true on the property management side. You know, like, you know, we know exactly, you know, what a one bedroom rents for uh, in Denver um, in different markets because we have projects there. And we and so we're seeing it with our own eyes. Um, we know exactly what amenities renters care about. We know exactly um, what features and units people care about and what they'll pay for those features. So we can factor all of that into our due diligence and we think make better decisions. Excellent. And kind of um, moving then from because everything we've kind of talked about is um, obviously you guys are a super competent, successful firm. Um, 
but all of this uh, kind of objective operational things must also come in conjunction with very good, sometimes and a lot of times subjective leadership, right? And like kind of 20 years in the business, growing a team of 150 people, how would you say, what do you think have been like your biggest lessons from a leadership standpoint and kind of finding leaders that can, obviously you can't manage 150 people on your own, right? You need sure. leaders that manage people in order to make sure there's lower turnover, right? And that people are actually, you're finding competent people that are actually doing their jobs, um, you know, and not just working two out of eight hours a day. Um, what do you think were some of the biggest lessons in the past 20 years in terms of just your own leadership style? Yeah, so it's a great question. You touch on something that really, really matters to us. Um, and that's kind of culture uh, and training and development. Like we spent a lot of time focused on um, not just, you know, how we hire and how we onboard people, but how we train and develop them um, and how we train our managers. You know, management is not an inherent skill. It's something that's often learned with folks. And, and you know, you just said a minute ago, right? we have 150 people. I can't manage them all. Um, so we spent a lot of time investing in kind of training our team. And we actually work with a Harvard Business School professor um, who's on our board of advisors, who for a number of years, uh, will, you know, comes to City View and trains our team in how to manage. He'll do surveys of the whole company to understand like what we do well and what don't we do well, what do we need to work on. He'll then come in and specifically train our managers. He'll teach Harvard Business School case studies to the senior team, to the mid-level team uh, on those issues. Um, we actually pick um, kind of the next generation of leaders and we have something called the City View Leadership Academy, which is a two year program where we train those people um, on how to take it to the next level. So they go through a, a, a program at Harvard Business School on kind of business fundamentals. Uh, maybe they work in development and they don't know a lot about operations or about marketing. So we kind of train them across the board um, and then they'll, they'll work directly with this professor in a curriculum that helps develop and build their skills. So, you know, really, really investing in the team matters. You know, as I, as I often say to the to the people here, you know, we're not in the manufacturing business or technology. We don't have some patent that we can kind of sell over and over and over again. What we really have to invest in is our people because they're making investment decisions and they're executing. And so we have to train and develop them and retain them um, so we can you know, continue to kind of execute at a very high level. So it's a it's a major kind of core value of the firm to do that. Excellent. And then so there's the management uh, training and I'm guessing like the executives and kind of CEOs, CMOs, do they kind of have their own like executive level now like while there's management training maybe there's like an executive level training yeah. for you, you guys participate in? and management is part of it but it's also operations it's also strategy it's also culture it's leadership right leadership is different than management um and so we focus on building those skills as well um and we really try to develop executives across the whole spectrum because we think they can you know they'll be more efficient they'll make better decisions and frankly it's a big retention tool for us you know it's a competitive market out there for really talented people and um you know we've had very low kind of voluntary turnover here um and that's because you know i think you know people value um you know this kind of training and development i mean you still obviously are you know you're you're paying market rate salaries you're giving people upside in the deals you're creating challenges like that's all important as well but to us it's an it's an additional kind of competitive advantage to to offer this kind of training and development yeah a hundred percent that's why i love asking the question um i love leadership development management development and um 
at the same time, everybody needs purpose and meaning, right? Like in their life. And when you get that, you get that. And then at the same time, there's, you know, Harvard studies have shown that there's no greater dopamine release in the brain than when you can take something you learn, apply it, and then it actually works. Right. Right. Correct. So if you've had, if you've been in that manager position and maybe you're having tension with your team and you can apply a certain strategy that eases that pressure and that tension and creates results, right. Or as a marketer where you can apply a new strategy that you test and it converts at a higher rate for you, let's say if you're doing paid ads, then there's a dopamine release in the brain, right? There's a, there's a reward um physiologically for for being able to take new data apply it and successfully execute right so that's what definitely is going to lower turnover because people feel that that growth that meaning that purpose behind what they do and and so if i can if we can go a little deeper what have what do you think have been one of like your biggest lessons in leadership and management and let's say at least like one nugget Sure. that you would say so, was very different 15 years ago than the way you think now. Yeah, I would say one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that, you know, you can't communicate too much uh, with folks. Um, communication is critical. As we do these surveys at the firm, we do something called, a, you know, building a great company survey. We've done it for 11 or 12 years. We're compared against 400 peer companies across a whole host of, of issues. Um, and what you really realize is, um, it's a busy environment and people have a lot of information coming at them all the time. And sometimes you'll say something once or you'll you know, send out an email and you all, you just assume that everybody understands it and they've internalized and they're running with it now. And, you know, that's just one more thing that's bombarding their day. So we really work to communicate with our folks, right? So we have an intranet where we are constantly posting things for the firm. We have a, you know, weekly, um, we get all the managers together every Monday morning for two hours and we go through the kind of priorities of the week and, you know, how the assets are performing and new deals we're focusing on. We have a monthly call it bagel Monday where we bring in breakfast for everybody and the whole company comes in all hands meeting. And, you know, we talk about what we're working on. We have quarterly offsite meetings. We do the leadership academy. So we're constantly communicating with our people to, to give them information about what the firm's doing, but also, you know, kind of supporting the core values that we have as a firm and make sure those are kind of inculcated into, into everything that, that we do. So communication is key and you really can't do it. Fantastic. Excellent. So just more communication, never such thing as over clarifying. Right. right. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, I guess uh, just another little side question, a quick one before we move on to more objective stuff. And I want to talk a little bit about deal structures, but are you guys fully in the office now, Monday through Friday, or did you guys, how are you guys doing the remote situation now? Yeah, so we are fully in the office and we have been for a year and a half. Um, we, you know, we were obviously fully remote, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID and then there, you know, there's a time in Los Angeles where you couldn't bring people back to the office. Um, all of our property managers and construction managers were considered essential. So they were able to continue to be on site. Um, but we really discovered early in the pandemic, although we were functioning at a high level over Zoom, that we're a very collaborative firm and it's just more difficult to collaborate uh, over Zoom. Um, and we were really also concerned about our ability to mentor our younger folks um, um, and, you know, for their development. I mean, you just learn a lot by being around, by sitting in on phone calls, by, you know, having conversations in the hallway. And so, you know, we went, you know, two days a week, then three days a week, and then the full five. And, 
Um, it's been great. Look, I mean, you know, did we, you know, did two or three people leave because they wanted a different, you know, different arrangement? They did, and they, we were happy for them to to kind of move on and do something that they wanted to do. But really, I think the firm seen it as a benefit, and it's allowed us to continue to be highly productive, uh, which is important. Hundred um, percent. For me personally, you know, we've been remote now since the beginning, and our 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 founder and CEO, he's. Uh, He's very uh, dynamic and travels a lot, right? And so we started after COVID kind of hiring all over the country because he moved off to Phoenix and our core team was in Miami. And then he moved out to Phoenix and we had thought that the uh, that we would be expanding out there. And then we started hiring in Michigan and then Trinidad and in South America and then uh, North Carolina. So it kind of, um, you know, so it kind of, sorry, kind of kept us remote because, um, that's it. The whole team was kind of spread out, but you're absolutely right. If you want a collaborative firm, um, collaboration just ha happens a lot more easily in person. Uh, sometimes there are ideas that come up that must interrupt, you know, certain situations, right? So, so that ability to, you know, kind of brainstorm on the fly, come together as a team at once and have that mastermind is, is always powerful. That's why I always ask, right? Cause I, I, you know, we have over 800 members, over 4,000 family offices in our club. So, a lot of them have gone back into an office and a lot of them have not. And a lot of the business leaders I follow say, hey, you know, um, unsustainable. And here as at Family Office Club, we're like, well, you know, we're up for the challenge, <laughs> you know. Uh, and it's allowed me more time to see my family when I go to New York, right, to be able to work with my parents, you know. But at the same time, there's a lot I miss about being able to collaborate with my team and, and feel like I'm building something side by side with people, you know. So that's why I had that question for you, Sean. But let's move on now to some more um, some more business talk here kind of to wrap up. I want to talk about uh, deal structures. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can share... You know, I think that everything we talked about, leadership, marketing, being vertically integrated, having a track record like you guys do, all matters. Um, but what we have found is that at the top of the list of what makes a firm very attractive is their ability to offer unique deal structures to their investors that de-risk um, yeah. investments for them and that show that the firm um you know is willing to risk themselves as well so i was hoping you can kind of share with us a little on that sure yeah there's a, you know, again we've been doing this a long time and we have you know very large uh institutional investors um as well as you know some family offices and some high net worths um and and so um there's a couple things that that kind of we've learned over the years and that we've done one is as i've talked about is like we're not a heavy fee firm um, we've generally created kind of these large commingled fund vehicles. Um, the deals in those vehicles are crossed. So basically we're not making money on one deal and losing deal on another. We, we, we don't do that. Everything's pulled together and we really don't make money until our investors have made money, um, which is again, a more common structure with really large institutions. And sometimes with high net worth and family offices, they don't have that deal, but you know, we, you know, we feel like their money is just as green as the big institutions. They should get treated with the same respect. So that's something that, that we really do and focus on. Um, you know, sometimes there's opportunities, particularly in the in the high net worth or, or family office space, to come in and participate on the on the general partner side of the ledger, which is really attractive from a return standpoint. It's it's some it's an it's access that's hard to get, but um, you know that's a structure that we've employed 
um, successfully as well. And it's kind of a two plus two equals five strategy. You know, it's we like it because it allows us to spread capital more broadly, to be more diversified, to do more deals. And our, you know, investor partners, you know, like it because they're getting enhanced returns for not taking significantly more risk. So that's a really, really popular kind of structure as well. Um, and so, you know, I think those are, you know, things that we focus on, but, but as, you know, back to your kind of original question earlier, like what should your investors look for? I think it's, again, it's, it's managers who, who have aligned interests with their investors. I think where you get in trouble and, and the real estate business is when you have interests that aren't aligned. Um, and so, you know, we really work in every fund that we do and every deal that we do, um, to, uh, to, you know, to align interests. And, you know, we've been blessed with great partners. You know, Blackstone has been a major partner of ours over the years across, you know, multiple joint ventures. Um, you know, BlackRock has been a partner. Um, a lot of big insurance companies and pension systems have invested uh, in our funds and vehicles. And, and you know, our greatest, you know, our greatest dopamine release uh, is when an investor comes back and invests in the next vehicle, right? Because we know at that point we've done a good job for them. They're happy and they're, and they're coming back to, to re-up. And so that's been a successful strategy for us and one we hope to continue going forward. Excellent. Can you elaborate? We talked a little bit about commingled funds. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about just what that means. Yeah, so so we've done a lot of these um, kind of six, you know, six successful commingled funds over the over the life of City View, and that's a fund structure where how the investors are limited partners pledge capital to the vehicle. Uh, it's closed end. There's a finite investment period and a finite life to it. Um, and then we only call the capital when we're ready to make the investment. Um, so it allows investors to continue to get productive use of their capital um, until we need it. Then we, you know, it's a very transparent structure, uh, which is why large institutions like it. Um, again, everything is crossed. So um, all the capital goes out. You don't get paid on a deal by deal basis, but all the capital goes out. Then it all comes back. Uh, the general structure is. Um, capital is paid first until 100% of the capital um, goes out to all the to the all the investors. Um, we also invest in every one of our deals as well. Um, City View is every single deal that we do, we put our own capital in, you know, alongside the investors. We think that's an important feature. Um, then there's generally a preferred return paid. It can be anywhere from kind of six percent to ten percent uh, annual return based on the you know, based on the uh, investment strategy and the market that you're in, et cetera. Um, and that really, yeah, you know, we think protects investors on the downside because any sort of carry or profit that the general partner is going to make at City View isn't going to kick in until after that preferred return has been paid. So the investors kind of get a minimum return. And then after that, there's a split of the profits, uh, the carry. Um, but it's a it's very efficient. It's very transparent. Um, you can move very quickly on deals, which is nice. You know, we we think you know we are in a unique, you know, opportunity. You know, it's funny. I just does have the Wall Street Journal here from a couple day, days ago. It talks about how Wall Street gets ready to buy real estate at a steep discount. Um, that's that's happening now. It's just starting to happen, um, and we think in the next twelve to eighteen months you're going to see great opportunities. And you need capital that's waiting and ready to go because um, the good deals don't sit around for three months or six months where you raise capital. Um, they may sit around for three weeks or 30 days. And so, um, you know, you, you need a structure that can take advantage of those opportunities and move quickly um, to execute. So that's what a commingled fund is. It's, it's a very popular structure. It's a very common structure with large institutions. And um, we think it's important to make that structure available to high net worth and family offices as well.
fine. Thank you. Um, so just to pretty much my last question now, you know, you're talking about the Wall Street Journal kind of moves in the next 12 to 18 months. What's going to cause that opportunity? I think it's such a it's such a tough market to speculate in right sure. now. You know? Yeah, look, we're, we're focused on two things. We have a running game and a passing game for an investment strategy. Um, um, the running game is really being um, being caused. Uh, the opportunities are being you know caused by um, frankly debt maturities and high interest rates. Um, you're actually seeing in in our markets really strong occupancy and rent growth because you have a lot of demand for housing, but interest costs have tripled. Um, and there's a lot of investors who bought, um, who paid a you know a low cap rate, basically paid a high price for the asset. They assumed that interest was going to stay low. They assumed they were going to get really high rent growth. That hasn't materialized, um, and now they're in trouble, um, and are you know they have a maturity coming, or they bought a cap on their on their floating rate debt that's expiring, and they can't afford the new cap, and they're going to have to sell. So it's an opportunity for. Um, firms that have capital and experience to kind of swoop in and, and buy things at a pretty significant discount to, to replacement cost or what it would cost to, to build. Um, so that's a really interesting set of opportunities. And we're just starting to see those hit now. You're starting to see the people who bought in 2021 and bought two-year caps, and those caps are expiring. And so, you know, we've seen more deals on, you know, available in the last kind of eight weeks than I have in the last eight or 10 months. Um, and um, and that's only going to continue going forward. And then the passing game is an interesting opportunity. Um, and we've done a lot of this at Cityview over the years. And that's where we go into to great markets and we option a piece of land. Um, we don't buy it. We just option it. And you take it through some sort of approval process with the city. Uh, and then you buy the land once you have all your kind of approval. So it's a way to control a you know $200 million deal for four or $5 million, take it through the process. Um, in 12 months or 18 months, um, you know, when there's more financing available and, and, you know, when you have all the approvals that you need, um, that's something we've done a lot of. And, um, that's a, you know, we're seeing great terms now, but the best terms we've seen in probably 15 years since the last financial crisis from land sellers willing to allow developers and operators like city view to come in and do that. So those are the two kind of opportunities that we see and that we're very, very focused on. Excellent. Well, Sean, um, that was tremendously valuable. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much. Um, a lot of valuable insight there, um, obviously from a very reputable firm and team. So thank you. Um, really enjoyed doing these to be able to speak with um, businessmen like yourself. Um, I think that was a great last point. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add there. Yeah, where no, can connect no, with you or your team yeah it's great i mean um we, you know would love to you know to to talk to folks who share our philosophy and are um interested in the real estate opportunities that are you know that are here and coming in the next 12 to 18 months and really appreciate taking the time to be on the podcast this morning yeah absolutely what's the best way do you think people should just go to to your website or where should people yeah, but reach out to your team the website has a lot of information about City View. Um, the 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 uh, email address is um, ir at cityview.com. Uh, people want to send a, an inquiry, and a member of our investor relations team will talk to them and see what their interest is. Um, but yeah, that's the best way. And you know, really, really interesting discussion. And, and thank you for for putting us on this morning. Absolutely, Sean. Hope to meet you and shake your hand in San Francisco. 
um, uh, in a couple weeks for our private investor deal flow summit uh, and keep the conversation going and maybe record another one of these in the future. That'd be great. I'd love it. All right. Have a good day. Thank you, Sean. Bye-bye. Join the Family Office Club by visiting familyoffices.com. We look forward to seeing you at our next live event.